Here we are, episode number three. Number three. Uh, uh. Number three. Yeah, number uh, three. Uh. It is number three, number right? Number three. Yeah, there's three. And okay. it's, an, it's an important number three at that. Very important oh. number three. You know why yeah. it's an important number three? Numero tres. No, so you don't know why it's important. <laughs> no, I, I well, don't. Let me, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> let me tell you. Today is the last episode of the Who Are We series or the potties (laughs) potties (laughs) that could be a cool name the potters oh yeah that could be a cool name for uh somebody who like really is into a podcast they're a potty oh wait a minute we may be the potters because it's what employer and employee yeah so we will be potter and depending on who's talking to whom Right. One of okay. us is anyway. the potter. <laughs> this is the uh, this is the last episode where people have to listen to us talk most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So this this is just a preliminary. Um, or if that's the right word for this situation, yeah, but this works. is okay. This is a preliminary, you know, in the, uh, the last the series, last episode of Who Are We? Um, last episode, uh, it was me. Nate interviewed me, and your guys got to know a little bit about my background. Mm-hmm. And so today, it will be <laughs> Nate's turn to tell you a little bit about just, himself. Just a little. Just a little bit. Not yep. much. Yep. Okay, uh, uh, I'm ready. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> Nate, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Glad to be here. All right. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk. Let's get into it because we talk a lot, so we can go ahead and jump in this. I want to ask you a few questions today. Okay. Let's let um you know. Well, oh, first of all. Thank you guys for listening to Echo Spective. We didn't mention the name at the beginning, but I'm mentioning it now. So thank you guys for listening. Echo Spective. Yes. We're talking to Nate. We're going to get to know him a little bit, hear some of his stories and his what he um, feels about music and, and those types of things. So my first question to you, Nate, yes. is how are you doing? I'm, I'm dandy. You're dandy? Uh, I'm good. Okay. All right. Well, that's that's good to know. Um, second question. No, we're not doing <laughs> like that. <laughs> so tell, tell me... Um, Tell me your musical background. Just just briefly, tell me a little bit about where you um, begin to understand the sound waves of music and putting it together. Let's see. Let's go all the way back to sort of the beginning. I think the first time where music hit me in a way where I kind of understood what was happening, you have that reaction to it and you go, oh, this this makes me feel something or I really like what these instruments are doing. It was the Jaws movie score. Wait, what? <laughs> so it really wasn't music. It was movie and music yeah, it, it it wasn't 
Yeah, it wasn't like a band or anything per se. It was. Uh, Did he say Jaws? I said dun, Jaws. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess that'll do it for me too. <laughs> yeah. Um, Tell me a little more. So my parents, um, you know, this was back in the day of having VCRs and uh, TV guides and stuff like that. So you would look through that and say, oh, this movie's coming on on Friday or whatever. I'm going to attempt to program my VCR <laughs> to record whatever it is. So um, you, you start building a, a bootleg library of movies. And uh, Jaws was one of them. That's just such a good movie. It's it's kind of it's like a horror movie for people who aren't into horror, but it's it's scary enough. I don't know about you, Marquise, but the ocean freaks me out. <laughs> oh, it, it does. Have I, you ever watched it, any it of those definitely. any of those shows on like Discovery Channel, whatever? And they're like, oh, this we found this squid that's the size of a school bus like no I, yeah no, I don't belong, no thanks i don't belong nowhere <laughs> near there so and, it, and, and to and to go ahead and, and add to that to to validate your fear of the water yeah fear of but that is like me uh-huh. a person you never meet that goes to get beachfront um condos on the ocean but never goes to the water <laughs> i stand on the balcony the whole weekend and watch yeah. with binoculars the water, but I don't go down there. So I, I definitely understand it, that it's the um, unknown, that you know, like you yeah, don't know what's down there. Anything could be down there. I don't, be, I don't, be, if I can't breathe, I, I don't belong down there. <laughs> there you go. If I have to use something to help me breathe so I can live, yeah. guess what? I don't need, I don't need to go. Right. I'm good. I'm, I'm good. So I don't, I don't need to be there. <laughs> so at a young age, kind of having that response to such a movie like that's why jaws is so freaky is just i mean aside from the fact that it's this huge shark and and all that but you know it's playing on people's fears of not knowing what's what's in the water and thinking things are safe and then all of a sudden they're not and that that jaws theme you know it is so simple but has become so iconic and it it's freaky, you know, there there's hardly anything to that progression, but you hear it and you autumn, you could be in Montana and get freaked out (laughs) nowhere near an ocean. And you're like, Oh man, that music makes me feel something. If, if, if you, yeah, if you are in a, a building or somewhere like yeah. a restaurant, you know, where they playing music, and you're like, oh, and that came something on, something bad's about to happen. You would, you would look around, and be like, wait a minute. Yeah, you'll start looking around because, yeah. like you said, it's a recognizable sound. Um, you know, I think it ranks up yeah, there yeah. with the. Yep. Oh yeah, you know, those things are. It's it's amazing how you just pick that out and said this is. Yeah, my, yeah. Um, my starting point. So having seen the film and kind of taking in, you know, getting hooked on the musical aspect of it and starting to put together um, how music influences a reaction or warrants a reaction. Um, so it, it's it's almost not enough to have these things going on on the screen 
the music that is matching what's happening and making you feel something. I think that's kind of the first time that all that came together for me. So mm. we also had a bootleg version of the Jaws soundtrack on cassette. And it was like translucent blue. How did you get a bootleg copy of a bootleg copy of <laughs> on tape? You know what? I don't, I don't want to know. know. <laughs> I don't know. I've never heard that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So they, they had this translucent blue tape that was, I guess, representative of the water. And man, I wore that tape out. I listened to it, the whole thing, so many times. And then I started with each song, you know, as, as it changes and you're kind of picking up on the music itself is telling a story. Then I could kind of see those scenes in my head and, you know, kind of put the movie together in my head myself as a result of listening to the music. Okay. So where do, where do we go from there? Did you start picking, did you pick up, a, what was your first instrument after that? Um, do you remember? Well, I'll, I'll I'll back up just ever so slightly. Um, so the the affinity with music, uh, you know, kind of started with Jaws, and of course my my parents were were into music. My dad has quite an extensive vinyl collection, um, and I just I remember sitting in front of his his uh, old school stereo. It was even old school in the eighties. <laughs> Um, oh yeah, but just with with those like um, like vintage style over the ear headphones on with the curly cord and the the big quarter inch jack, you know, and and just oh, yeah. listening to stuff. You know, both my parents liked the Beatles, um, tons of Beatles stuff. My dad really liked the Eagles, um, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. Uh, Tons of stuff. Crosby, Stills, Neil Young, um, Boston. <laughs> I could I could go on for days. Um, so I was around music a lot, and uh, my mom liked to sing in the choir. And um, my mom also introduced me and my sister to musicals. So we watched like Jesus Christ Superstar, uh, Peter Pan. West cats. Side, West Side Story. No, not cats. Oh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so we we watched those a lot. My first instrument was the piano, and I was probably around ten uh, when when I started that. I, I I couldn't see at the time the benefit. I, I look back now and I go, man, I wish I just stuck with it. But I wasn't playing stuff that I wanted to play. I, just kind of like anybody else that starts out on anything, you want to you want to go ahead and run before you even know how to crawl. So yeah, you want to play full compositions. Yeah, I I didn't right, like right away. I didn't like doing the fundamental stuff and the the warm ups and the at, at that age I I didn't appreciate classical music. So I'm I'm playing stuff that of course I've never really heard before, but my mom likes that stuff and she was like i want you to learn how to play moonlight sonata or Feralise or you know and so i'm like and okay and you said all i want to do is learn how to play jaws <laughs> that's right <laughs> 
so that lasted, I think, just a, a couple years. Um, I, you know, I did the recitals and that kind of stuff, but I was never passionate about it. Um, mm -hmm. So I think it just kind of, we just kind of stopped. <laughs> and then I, I started getting more into like playing basketball and girls <laughs> as I got older. Yeah. Well, that's probably where the ballots probably came in after that, but I, I will move on. <laughs> so uh, while playing the piano, did you have a favorite band or were you listening to, were you listening to music at that, at this point to No, not really. I think what happened was I would go to my grandfather's, uh, a few times over the summer or, you know, some school breaks or whatever. And he had vinyl too, but he had uh, big band stuff. Glenn Miller, Duke Ellington, um, Ink Spots, you know, all. Oh, okay. Yeah. Jimmy yeah, Dorsey, yeah, all, all that kind of stuff. Right. So uh, I, I thought that stuff was kind of cool because it sounded old. You know, and it was like obviously from a different time, but it it didn't sound like anything else I'd heard. You know, they're not. I'm not listening to big band radio or anything like that right. as a as a 12 year old or whatever. Um, but my grandfather listened to that stuff all the time because that's what he grew up listening to. So whenever I go visit him, I'd hear it, and and I liked it. I even ended up buying some big band compilation CDs uh you know over the years uh and of course now if i listen to it i, I have that memory of uh, visiting my grandfather and doing stuff with him uh, but then the the tides kind of started to change um because of my uncle he is only about 11 years older than i am mm. so pretty close yeah, so imagine, you know, like a 10, 12-year-old kid whose uncle is, you know, late teens, early 20s. <laughs> so, yeah, looked up to him big time, and he was into um, a lot of things. And this is kind of when I started to realize you don't have to like just one type of music. You know, it, it's okay to like different stuff. So he was really big into Jazzy Jeff and the Fresh Prince. Hey, uh, Big Daddy Kane. Okay. Um, uh, Easy E. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, wait, wait a minute. <laughs> yep, uh, kind of a big jump. <laughs> <laughs> Jazzy Jeff, the Easy E. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh, talking about expanding your palate. Yep, yep. So you know he he's into that. What what you would classify now as old school rap. Um, right. But he was also into like Metallica and Iron Maiden and, and you know stuff like that. Like he was huge into Maiden. He had so many Maiden posters in his room. And every time I go in there, I'm like, this guy is so cool. Oh, yeah. Um, he he loved Rush. Uh, and and uh, we've seen some Rush shows together and, uh, you know, talk about shared musical experiences. Um, so I, I got really into rush because of him and that's when it really started 
to click for me, like not only am I enjoying finding out about new music, but I think I might want to play it too. And how do I get Mm. to do that? I guess around seventh grade, um, my, my dad was dating this woman who had a son who had a guitar and it was like a classical guitar. So it like, wasn't cool. (laughs) He's, he didn't have anything set up where, you know, he's like shredding or anything, but I held it and I was like, this feels, this feels right. I like this. And he was like, Oh, I want to show you how to play this song. And it was come as you are by Nirvana. I think most people that are my age that started playing guitar back then, if that wasn't the first song they learned how to play, it was in the top three. So he, he showed me how to do that and I kind of figured it out and it was over. I was hooked. (laughs) I was like, I, I can see that. I want to play guitar and I don't care how that happens. And I had a really good friend, Justin Ratcliffe, in case uh, he's listening. Shout out to Justin there. What up, Justin? <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> um, he he was my best friend for a long time in, in like elementary and middle and some of high school. Okay. Uh, he, he got a Squire Stratocaster with a uh, like a sunburst finish on it and this little practice mm-hmm. amp. And he was taking guitar lessons and I was jealous. <laughs> oh. um, yeah, I was, I wasn't mad, but I was like, okay, I, I got to figure out how to, how to get myself a guitar. And I also had another buddy, Mike Vitelli. What's up, Mike? Um, what up, Mike? <laughs> and the three of us, we're like, we're going to start a band. And of course, Justin's the only one that has anything. Mike was like, I'm going to play bass. And I was like, well, I'll play something. I don't know. Or maybe Mike was going to play drums. I, one of the two. <laughs> Obviously, it didn't Somebody happen. Somebody was playing something. <laughs> That's right. It didn't happen, but it didn't matter. And we had right. concocted this plan that we were going to start this lawn mowing business. <laughs> And mm-hmm. pass out all these flyers and neighborhoods. And we're like, man, we're going to make so much money. We're going to buy all this stuff. Um, I don't even think we made a flyer. <laughs> we were just like, can you imagine making a flyer? Then what did you have to go to like, um, uh, Pinkos? <laughs> I don't even know if that was around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now you can just throw it, you know, throw it in your home, uh, printer, but yeah, yeah, def- definitely didn't have that. Oh, cool. Uh, so, you know, I go to my parents and I'm like, I, w- I want to learn how to play guitar or play something. Um, and of course, l- like most parents would react to a child of that age who has probably started something and stopped something uh, a million times. Um, well, we just don't want that to end up in the back of your closet. And I was like, no, no, this is different. Like, I, I, this is what I want to do. So my dad took me to a music store downtown Greensboro called Music Barn. 
as as being a new Rush fan, um, I was like, okay, if I'm if I'm gonna play something, I'll be like Getty Lee, and I'll play bass because it only has four strings, and maybe that'll be easier to figure out than guitar that has six. So we go to Music Barn. We talk to this guy about lessons and all that kind of stuff, and between the cost of the equipment and the cost of the lessons, it just wasn't feasible. And man, heartbroken. <laughs> oh man. That so you so you didn't get the guitar. No. That was a sad day. I mean, you're really looking forward to something and and you're driving there. Maybe this still even happens now, but especially as a kid. Because you're too young to drive, so you don't really know how long it's gonna take you to get somewhere. <laughs> So the mm-hmm. anticipation is even worse. And so we're driving the music barn and I'm, I've already got all this stuff worked out in my head, um, band stuff. And like, what's the first song I'm going to learn how to play? And oh, I'm going to be a rock star and all this stuff. And we get there and we find this cool bass and this amp. And we're like, yeah, this is great. And then the guy's like, here's how much that costs. And lessons are this much each time. And you start doing the math and it's like, Ugh. I don't know. That's kind of a lot. The drive home. <laughs> drive oh, home is really sad. <laughs> was that like you looking out the back window and the store is like fading away <laughs> with the single tear. And I'm reaching my arm out like You're reaching oh, for so it. Close. I want to so, play. I said, okay, if we can't take lessons, I'm just going to teach myself. I'm going to figure it out on my own. Um, so smart choice, smart choice back to, back to Justin, he, um, you know, this was back in the day when you'd spend the night with your buddies, like almost every week, like I was, I was at his house. Yeah. I was at his house or he was at mine. So the next time I went to his house, I was like, man, can you show me how to do that? Can you teach me how to play? And he's like, yeah, man, it it's not that hard. And so he he showed me something called a tab book, uh, short for mm. a tab tablature. And because I was like, dude, I don't know how to read guitar music. I barely remember how to read piano music. And he's like, oh, it you don't you don't have to know the notes. Um, in the tab book, it shows you where to put your hand essentially. So. For those like who hands are, on training, that's right. Literally, I like um, it. I like it. So he he brought the tab book and he showed me how to do chord shapes and how to play stuff. And uh, of course, I already knew how to play. Uh, Come as you are. All of this on your own, no classes, no instructor. You're no, learning. No, it's um, just with this. Get, you getting and together. Your yep, getting together with people who who know how to play, and you just. <laughs> figure stuff out man that is awesome this is really before the internet so you couldn't just go online and get tab sheets youtube it you couldn't you you couldn't youtube it up (laughs) you could watch um so so you was you it's just you were the two figuring it out yep your friend was the tube he was he tube yep (laughs) so he he got some more tab books and so we um and eventually i ended up uh, buying an electric and borrowed a friend's amp. Uh, thanks, Kevin Ray. Thank you so much. What's up, you, Kevin? You you really helped me out. You, you may not even know it. Um, so, of course, 
wanted to be an electric player. Still played some acoustic, but I'll let you know if, if I wanted to be. And it's funny because I was talking to an, another buddy of mine yesterday. Uh, interviewed him for the show. That an episode will be coming out later. So What's up, buddy of Nate? Don't don't forget. Um, but I was kind of telling him we were talking about music back in the day, and I said, you know, once I discovered who Metallica was, I wanted to be James Hetfield, and I never looked back. Mm. I wanted to be James Hetfield, so um, I had a <laughs> another friend of mine, uh, Dave Musselman, who actually what ended up, Dave? up he ended up starting his own guitar company. Maybe we'll talk to him one day. Uh, hey. He lived he lived uh, like a street behind me. I go to his house sometimes. He was really into Pantera, and I was like, "Ooh, uh, I like this stuff." And he had this mm. Washburn guitar that was really pointy being a james hetfield fan he plays a a a flying v and an explorer mainly so those are pointy guitars yes i've heard of the flying v yeah i've heard of that so my friend who had this washburn guitar that was extra pointy i was like i want that and he ended up actually selling it to me for fifty dollars 50 bucks. Wait, what? Yeah. And I think it came with a hard case. $50. Oh, man. <laughs> and you jumped right on that, didn't you? That guitar was so fun. Um, but it had um, what's known as a floating bridge on it. And that is not an ideal setup for a first-timer. Because they're very hard to restring and to tune and all that. So I took that guitar and went to a pawn shop and got another Washburn, but it was more uh, like an Explorer type. Because mm-hmm. again, wanted to be James Hetfield. That's that's really when I was like, I'm getting serious about playing. Um, started buying tab books. Uh, getting together with other people who who played other instruments or, you know, play guitar. Or I had a buddy I worked with at Harris Teeter in Adams Farm Shopping Center that played bass, and he came over a couple times, and he taught me how to play some uh, Rage Against the Machine songs. <laughs> mm. I'm eating it up, man. I am just learning everything I can learn. had another buddy, um, Jason, that he and I – would play. What up, Jason? Would play stuff all the time. Another buddy of mine, Chris. We went to church together. What up, Chris? <laughs> he and I, we we kind of we we had a little band going on. Um, so this is like high school time. Uh, there's actually I need to find it and put it in the show notes. There's actually a picture of me in my junior year yearbook, either junior or senior. Uh, the, the photographer from the yearbook club or whatever came to my house one night, took a picture of me (laughs) playing guitar in my bedroom. And I had all these band posters on my wall. So we were like, yeah, let's take a picture of you shredding it up in front of this wall. And dude, I thought, wait, did I go in the yearbook? Yeah. Yeah. There's a picture. I'll, I'll find it. Oh, that was, that was cool. I felt 
you know, honored because I wasn't the only one in school who played guitar. So it it was cool to, to be in that. And also side note about yearbooks. I actually designed the logo for our senior year yearbook. Nice. <laughs> and looking back on that logo, I'm like, <laughs> why'd they pick mine? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure somebody else. Yeah, everybody was cheering when everybody had to vote. What would you, you know, uh, you know, best person of the year, or what would you be in the future? They said superlative stuff. He's going to be a graphic designer. (laughs) Yeah, not quite. If they did, they would have been way off. Yeah. Uh, Oh. Um. So yeah, the high school just really, really dug into playing guitar and kind of started to see that girls like that sort of thing. Mm. <laughs> so I was like, Ooh, I've, I've got something here. Not only am I learning to play an instrument, but uh, maybe I can write a song for a girl or something and she'll like me. <laughs> yeah, James Hatfield, make me a ballad song. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh man. Yeah. You know, going into college era, met a lot of people there who felt the same way I did about their instruments, uh, kind of started learning bass and drums around that time. I I didn't just want to play guitar. I was like, I want to learn other stuff and started a student music ministry on state's campus. Uh, with a couple other people it was actually like a faculty sanctioned uh, group it wasn't just like a bunch of random people meeting up like we were a registered group on campus so that that was pretty and cool the, and was this the first of its kind uh yeah because funny story like a pioneer of what's going on yeah so there was this other group on campus that was an acapella group so a few of us had tried out for this acapella group and didn't make it um so we were like you know what let's do our own thing but basically it'd be kind of like a worship collective everybody can come If, if you play whatever it doesn't matter we could have seven guitarists we could have three drummers we could have 10 bassists we could have a 50 person choir and man a lot of people showed up for this thing it was very cool so did you play in any did you play in any talent shows at school i did not um i i didn't wow i would think that you would have by this time you and you know your, your neighborhood friends would have said let's let's do the talent feel... show so believe it or not there was a time in my life where i did not like being in front of people (laughs) or speaking or performing or whatever. Um, so I, I guess I just was too self-conscious about my abilities, but the interesting thing is my freshman year, the summer after my freshman year of college, I came back home and my high school was doing a production of Greece. Why 
choir director, uh, Mrs. Howard, wanted, um, you know, like a band. So I got together with my, my buddy, Chris, and me. Or maybe Chris was the next year. Anyway, they had the other pieces to the puzzle. So uh, when I was home before public school let out, you know, I got to help out with the production of Grease at my old high school playing guitar and learning those kind of 50s uh, songs. Tell me more. <laughs> tell me. It's totally different than playing Metallica. <laughs> So that was a time that it. Oh, you think? Oh, you thought you was gonna go in there and play Metallica? No, you. <laughs> that that was the time where you know I, I uh, took up a challenge. You know, I'd never played that kind of stuff before, but I knew I knew it was important mm -hmm. to stretch, and to, to get out of my comfort zone. You know, not only playing in front of people, um, but playing a genre that, I really wouldn't even listen to. But those those years just really sealed it for me that playing and maybe even back then uh, getting into songwriting and performing, like there wasn't anything else like it. And I knew that that's what I wanted to do somehow, whatever that meant. Not, not professionally. I never really thought about it that way, but I just loved, you know, after getting comfortable with playing in front of people, like the first time you do something like that and it goes well, it's on, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, yeah. You, you, yeah. Your ears perk up, your eyes get big, your heart start yep. pounding like a heartthrob and you're like, you know, I, I can do this. Yep. And you feel at that moment that you can because it's just it's new. You feel good about it, and there's you know of course there's obstacles you got to go through, but at that moment, you you know you you really see yourself into growing into something that you can see yourself yeah. doing. Now I do want to jump into okay. something real quick because I remember um before I forget I remember you talking about it. May have to jump back a, um a few years, but I I know you was talking about your um. Native American yes. side, um, and the music, how you were introduced to music that way. Can you share some of that? On, on my mom's side of the family, that's where our Native American heritage lies. She's always instilled in myself and my sister, you know, to, to be proud of that and to want to learn about that. And I may have been about seven or so, uh, but I was out in our front yard putting a bunch of sticks kind of like making a teepee <laughs> and uh and I was kind of proud mm. of it I was like look I'm I'm you know making a teepee and I don't know if I had told somebody at school that I was half native american or something or and they they kind of brushed it off because it was like well you're not fool or whatever and my mom was real real adamant right. about like you know you are as much Native American as you feel you are. I mean, like, technically you're 50%, but, like, if you are... The more you yeah. reach out and get engulfed in yeah, it and like learn if, about if it, you the more are, it will become you. If that is becoming a part of how you identify your heritage, then 
that's fine. My mom used to play this, uh, or jump on up a few years to CDs. She would play the CD by this uh, artist called Coyote Old Man. And it was like pan flute stuff. There weren't any words. It was all instrumental. It's oh. it's really like the, the guy plays like a pan flute and then with like some ethereal sounding stuff uh, going on. Well, it'll be on the playlist. People can check it out. Here is somebody using traditional Native American instruments and putting together these songs. Man, I still listen to that stuff. And, and it just kind of takes me back to those times of hearing it for the first time. You know, feeling like you have a connection to your past through that, you know, you, you, you can Absolutely. identify as that's a representation of culture. And then you go, well, that's my culture. Mm -hmm. So like, I, I get yeah. what's happening with this music. Let's talk about your move to the ministry when you were lead worshiper and you was going through that experience and worship leader and, and band and dealing with that. About what era was did that come into and, and how long about how long did you last in that? I was probably about 15 or 16. Um, and a friend of mine and I, who is on an upcoming episode, uh, he played bass. And so we we jam out a little bit. And this was around the time where passion was just starting and churches were really just quote unquote allowing electric instruments <laughs> on mm -hmm. Sunday mornings. Um, so, you know, our church was kind of figuring out what to do with all that. But in our youth group, um, our youth pastor, Steve was, you know, up, very Steve? good about, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think one of us had asked him or maybe Steve asked us if we'd be interested in doing a couple songs before youth on a Wednesday night. Um, so I, I count that night as my first official time of leading worship and the, the wheels fell off before we even started the car. <laughs> I, I think oh, really? We, we got halfway through the first song and we lost our place or something. And it was just like, <laughs> okay, we're done. <laughs> oh, so it was a, oh, so it was a, it was a, yeah, it was a bomb. Yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was oh, one of those man. times where I was like, <laughs> If, if I'm ever going to do this again, I need to maybe spend a little more time. I need to learn the song better. Not only are you learning how to play, but you also have to learn how to play and sing at the same time. And right. for a, a, a young musician, a young guitarist, a young singer, that ain't easy. Uh, going from there, and you know, like I mentioned, kind of starting the the thing at NC State, and then um doing some youth group internships for a few years then uh one summer i worked at a summer camp as a counselor and that's where i met my wife and hey. they they had hey, wife. um i guess kind of talent shows like the last night of the week uh, each camp week mm -hmm. i forget what they call it 
like a show, a showcase of talent. Vacation Bible no, School. It was a showcase oh. of talents. <laughs> um, so you know the youth, <laughs> any youth group could sign up to do something. So you've got people doing like interpretive dances or because they would let the counselors do stuff too if they didn't have enough churches to sign up. So mm -hmm. at the time she wasn't my wife, but my wife and I got up there and we did a Cademan's call song together, um, shifting sand. And that was, that wasn't the first time that I've sung with a girl, but it was the first time I sung with a girl that I was interested in. Hey, <laughs> we get into the ballots. <laughs> and you know, like you're playing in front of, <laughs> couple hundred people and you know it's fun and right um you know by that time i'd gotten way more serious about playing and kind of developing my style and was really into cadman's call in in college I'm still still love listening to them but that's kind of one of those bands that uh they serve a purpose at a certain time in your life you know uh play that song there then subsequent um, volunteer positions at churches and just really getting more into the the worship stuff um, kind of up until just a couple of years ago. So total probably 25 years of doing that. Oh. At least. <laughs> cool. Did you get burned out from that? Because I know you moved and you, you're – kind of doing yeah you, the next step i don't know if it was like hand in hand or did you jump and start doing like children's music because i know you had an album that came out and you was doing a lot of children's yeah. music was you doing that hand in hand with worship or did you just stop the worship leading and move to the children's music um how did that it, it was that going happen? on at the same time uh i did the kids music thing for about 10 years and because that was so infrequent it never really um, I never really felt like I was doing too much. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I think I'd probably play three kid shows a year if I was lucky. Up up until okay. a couple years ago when we got hooked up with the Greensboro Parks Department and we were doing something once a month. Um, but before that, it was a lot of pounding the pavement and trying to get people to understand what you wanted to do and then of course negotiating the financial aspects of it what how did you get and being that you know like you say you didn't do that many shows and it wasn't what i guess maybe you thought it was so how did you become how did you get involved with that with the children's music anyway was it something that you said i'm gonna try or did you see somebody do it and say hey there's something that i may want to do i know you have you mentioned you do have you do have children right was it because you wanted to connect with them? And why did you go to children's um, music? So route? back in early days of college, I discovered this group called Tenacious D, uh, Jack Black, ah, Jack Black and Kyle yes. Gass. Um, they are not a kid's group, <laughs> but no, they <laughs> um, their stuff's silly, you know, and it was kind of the first time I saw guys who could really play and really sing but the songs are just nonsense but they're still fun and you go well man like they're actually playing real music and then 
after my first son was born, uh, I would make up little songs for him. And I have a cousin who is actually going to be the next interview episode that we air, uh, Stephen Courtney. He does, up, Steven? he does the kids' music thing for a living. Um, he's he's, ah, he's living the dream. What? So kind of after you know having a kid and now being in that realm and kind of realizing, yeah, maybe I can come up with silly songs. Um, you know, was greatly encouraged by some family members and by Steven to give it a shot. And I kind of wanted to be the Jack Black for kids. <laughs> and a buddy of mine and I, uh, Gray, I've known Gray since like third grade or something. Um, he and I teamed up, he plays bass and we actually got to play a show up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, this annual music festival they have up there called um, Kids Cookie Break or Kids Big Cookie Break. Because I think there's a radio show that plays kids music or kindy music, as people in the biz say. Um, the show was called Cookie Kids Cookie Break. And then they kind of get all the artists that they've played throughout the year to come to this festival and it's like Woodstock for kids. It lasts like a whole weekend. It's bonkers. So we got asked to go up there and play at that festival. Uh, it started with that. Kind of over 10 years of just really trying, we made a little EP of some live performances that we did in uh, at this place called Emerge in Raleigh. I'm familiar with Emerge. What up, Emerge? You know, did did that thing, had had a couple quote unquote bigger shows uh throughout the the ten years. We played at uh Goulash, which is a thing in downtown Greensboro around Halloween. Played that a couple of years ago. That was kind of the that was the bucket list gig that we always wanted to do. And so we were thankful to be able to do that. Next question. Music today Ooh, is it's today. <laughs> uh, music today is progressive. I think there, okay. there, there are groups and artists and songwriters that are pushing boundaries and not just mm -hmm. social or political or whatever. They're doing that too, but, um, technical uh, boundaries of technology boundaries of recording boundaries of playing um, and I think with such an abundance of information that's available to people you know just take YouTube for example there's plenty of times I watch YouTube and I watch some 14 year old play guitar and it makes me want to set all my stuff on fire and just never pick up an instrument again yeah. Who you telling? I've seen these young kids. I've seen kids that they put like a shoebox so they can stand behind the DJ yeah. booth and they are going to get, I'm looking at them like, you know what? I'm just going to just yeah. listen yeah. to music. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there, there's stuff out there that that's pushing people and giving them creative outlets. And I think that's fantastic. And again, you know, take that as a challenge. You know, if, 
I'm I'm not going to be offended or anything if a 15 year old plays better than me. That 15 year old has more time than I do. <laughs> I and I right. look back at what I was learning when I was 15, and I think I kept it too simple. I, I th- there will be times where I'm like, oh, I, I can't do that solo in that song. It's too hard, and I would just never try it. Or I can't. And I think also. No, go I was ahead. Saying you know there there's there's times I've talked myself out of mm-hmm. getting better at an earlier age because I was scared of failing. Yeah, and I was going to add to that, not add, but I was going to say the difference is what I'm seeing because I my because I do have older children and you know I used to coach sports and stuff like that. I think these children are fearless. Yes. Yes. Know? Um. I was the same way you was. I didn't want to do certain things. I didn't want to DJ certain events because I felt like I wasn't good enough. I didn't want to fall flat on my face. But I think the the, the children of today, the youth of today, they are fearless. Yeah. If they they like, if I fail, I just fail. But I'm doing it. Well, and you know, I think that's a pretty good segue into why we're doing what we're doing. I don't know if you're if you're right. going to get there or not. <laughs> but we're yeah, we're, we're, we're getting there. Um, I think that's what kept us from doing something like this for so long. It, it, at least, at least for me. And since you're interviewing me, I'll, I'll speak from my perspective. Um, but it's, it's hard sometimes to put yourself out there, especially as an older person. Um, you know, you, and especially something that is a creative effort. You want people to like mm-hmm. it. You don't want somebody to say it's not good. You don't want to put all this time and effort into something and someone go, I don't get that. Or that doesn't make any sense. Or what are you guys trying to do now? Or, you know, um, I've I've just been so encouraged and thankful for the people who have listened to our show so far and who have given great feedback and constructive criticism. And we have to be open to that because, we have to understand where people are coming from. Um, we're never going to get better if we don't listen to the people who are listening. <laughs> and if they're like, Hey, what if you did this or did that? And we go, you don't know what you're talking about, but we're creating for people to enjoy something. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I think I shared something with you a few months ago. Where I saw this post and it was kind of this like first kind of things like your first book isn't going to be a bestseller. Your first song isn't going to be heard by millions of people. And then one of the lines was your first podcast isn't going to be great. <laughs> and yeah. and I think for the longest time, I look at these firsts, but especially more recently with putting together the show. Um, and, and even when I would do live shows for the kids music or or there, even Sundays leading worship, you know, beforehand, I would go, you know, if somebody came up to me right now and said, you know what, you don't have to go on and do this. We're just going to cut the event short. I would be like, woo, thank you. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because (laughs) it's not stage fright necessarily, but it's just like. You're pouring yourself out there. You're putting yourself out there to be, you're vulnerable 
in your right your uh, you might be scrutinized or um, compared or you know maybe people will like what you're doing maybe they won't and how are you going to deal with that so doing this show it's it has been challenging because we are putting ourselves out there we want this to be a platform for people to be candid and to share their stories so we have to do that um but again just like with the kids music thing like i'm doing this for my family if if for nobody else um you know going back to heritage and storytelling um they're growing up uh and i mean they still have it somewhere but my mom had this uh, vhs of my great-grandparents somebody um in my family had the wherewithal to film my great-grandparents before they passed and they just told their story you know and this is in the 80s and i'm sure they were mm -hmm. if they weren't 90 they were very close so you're you're talking about people who may have been born in the late 1800s early 1900s that might as well have been on another planet as far as i was concerned but yeah. it was captivating and hear these people just telling what it was like back in the day just to watch that video and just be transported to this other time and just the fact that i'm still talking about that video 30 some years later i mean it obviously made an impact so the things that i involve myself in that are creative i want them to mean something and I think that was another thing with the kids music thing. Like I, I saw that the time was coming and that at least from my perspective and maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I felt that it wasn't being impactful. I felt that I wasn't serving or I wasn't providing in the way that I wanted to. So the time for that came to stop. And so when I say that I'm doing this for my family, it, it is in the same vein of whoever taped my great grandparents. I want there to be this chronicling of stories of people's journeys, of people's inspirations, of their triumphs and their failures. And we find common ground through music and who knows where it goes from there. Um, but if no one else listens to this, if all we are doing this for is to collect these stories and whenever it's over, it's over. And all those things have been put together. We can leave that for our families, for, for our kids and their kids. And they can look, oh, they can go, Hey, look what our great granddad did in, mm -hmm. in, in, uh, 2024. Uh, you know, this is pretty cool. Um, you know, just putting our time and effort into something that hopefully will mean something not only to us, but to other people as well. Like we really hope that other people listen to the show. <laughs> I'm not yeah. saying that, that I don't want listeners. Um, it would be great if we had more listeners than we knew what to do with. Um, so that being said, 
I am going to issue a challenge, a, a call to action here, listeners. Um, we have started, uh, Marquise and I have started to interview other people and to gather their stories, and, and we are building those up. But we want more. Um, so as you're listening to this episode, if you have a story to share, um, if you are, are listening to these episodes and hearing these other people's stories and their memories that have been sparked uh, or, or that are based in, in some musical memory or um, if your career has anything to do with the arts, we would love to know how you got there. Um, so there are a couple ways that you can get this done. You can go to our website, echospective.com. And that's kind of, <laughs> echospective. that's kind of the hub. You'll be able to get to everything else from there. So if you can't remember our Facebook, Instagram, X, um, whatever, you can get to it from there. Um, MySpace. Yes, right. There's a big, uh, there's a big button on there that says, send us a message. That'll send us an email. Let us know. Um, we're going to have a way that you can call and leave us a voicemail. The phone number will be um, in the show notes as well as the website. Um, you can call that number and you can just leave us a little message. And it doesn't have to be long. Maybe you just want to share a, a short story or just a thought that's relative to what we're trying to achieve in this show. Or if you call us and say, I have this great story, uh, but it's kind of long. Could I be on an episode? Definitely. Um, yes. So you can send us a message through Facebook or Instagram. Um, so we, we are done talking about ourselves. We are ready to let you share your journeys. And it's going to be great to see how this show turns out because it is going to be a direct result of you guys. Yeah. The sky is the limit. All of yep. the, I wouldn't say boring, but all of the preliminary stuff <laughs> is out of the way. Necessary. And necessary stuff. Yeah. Because we would get questions. Well, what about you guys? And what about, so we decided let's get this out of the way. First two episodes, let's go. Yep. And then after that, guys, you will be in for a tremendous treat. Nate and I have been talking about these interviews and we have some really, really exciting people in all aspects of music that will be sharing their stories with you. Basically what, what these two shows were just to let you know what you're going to be getting from other people. You're going to be getting stories about, you know, how they, you know, heard music and how music, um, inspired them and, and, and molded them and backgrounds that they had in, in different genres of music and different, um, avenues of the business. So yeah. just stay tuned. And, we, we, we're about to have some fun with this. And, and don't think that just because you work at a bank or a grocery store or, uh, you, a daycare or whatever, that you aren't relative to our mission. Like, yeah, and definitely I would like to, you know, if anybody at the post office or at DMV, um, I'm pretty sure Slam Onyx was your theme song, just mad. But um, <laughs> but yeah, so even don't 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 shy away because 
well, I'm not a musician or I didn't go to theater class. No, we, this pod is for the everyday person yeah. that has some type of connection with music and we want to hear from you. Yeah. And we're definitely going to have people on here who are involved in the arts directly or that's their career or anything. And, and uh, that's interesting too. You know, like a, a lot of this is, um, in instances like that, we're kind of looking behind the curtain and finding out um, how other people do their thing and how music got them there. And whether that's a direct part of their life or not, um, these stories are interesting. So with that being said, this concludes episode number three. I'm Marquise. And I'm Nathan. Echospective. We'll see you next time. Peace. Oh yeah, baby. We out. Echospective was recorded and produced in Mockingbird Studios. Brought to you by Marquise Burke and Nathan Sieg, and in part by their respective families. We thank you all so much for pushing us to strive for excellence. And we thank you, the listener. Your support means everything.